Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Guy Marzarati in Fermina Kim. Coming up on Forum, the most powerful state law that many Californians have never heard of is how a recent three-part San Francisco Chronicle investigation describes California's Voting Rights Act. The law encourages district-based rather than at-large elections based on research suggesting these lead to more representative city councils and local boards. The Chronicle investigation found numerous success stories of the law doing just that, but a small group of plaintiff's attorneys were enriched along the way. We'll hear more next, after this news. This is Forum. I'm Guy Marzarati in for Mina Kim. We're talking this morning about the California Voting Rights Act. Passed in 2002, the CVRA has forced many cities to switch from at-large elections in favor of district-based ones, which research shows can lead to more representative school boards and city councils. The San Francisco Chronicle recently conducted the largest ever analysis of the California Voting Rights Act, and they found that a small group of attorneys are using the law to reshape the state's election landscape. We're joined this morning by the investigation's co-authors, Jason Fagoni, narrative writer for The Chronicle. Welcome. Hi, Guy. And Daniel Lempers, criminal justice reporter with The Chronicle as well. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having us. So, Jason, I want to start with you maybe before we get into uh, your investigation of the California Voting Rights Act and its impact on local elections all across the state. Maybe start by describing how a district election works, how that's different from an at-large election. Sure. So it's probably easier to start by explaining at-large elections because they're simpler. So in an at-large election for city council, say, everybody in the city votes for the same set of candidates and the candidates represent everyone in the city. So you might have five candidates in a council race running for one open seat and the top vote getter gets the seat. It's kind of very open and shut, winner take all, Um, very simple. And so A lot of small towns in California um, have used at-large systems for about a century, and uh, also some larger cities like Santa Monica. Um, District elections are very different. With district-based elections, the city gets carved into uh, a bunch of sort of geographic chunks, uh, essentially neighborhoods, and those neighborhoods vote for their own representatives. And that's how San San Francisco works, for example, our supervisor system. So each neighborhood has sort of its own champion. Um, 
the supervisor for Richmond represents Richmond and the supervisor for the mission represents the mission. Um, and it's the same with Oakland. The city is divided into districts. And so it's a really fundamental difference that um, completely shapes the power structure of a city. And Daniel, in California's 500 cities, thousands of local boards, give us a picture of how many have adopted this kind of district by district election statewide. Yeah, so um, you know, in our reporting, we found that uh, there really isn't anyone who has a, a full picture of of these figures. Um, we found uh, there are probably approximately 200 cities, uh, about the same number of school boards, and several dozen special districts. That's uh, fire boards, water boards, uh, library districts that conduct district-based elections. And Jason, I mentioned at the top, you write about the California Voting Rights Act as the most powerful law that most Californians have not heard of. Tell us about that about this law and how it came about. Sure. So it's it's based on a federal law that's very similar, but kind of goes beyond it. So the Federal Voting Rights Act has been in place since 1965. The federal law is kind of one of these key uh, pieces of civil rights era legislation. It was passed in the wake of uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s and John Lewis's marches uh, in Alabama and was designed to address generations of brutal repression of the black vote by, uh, by whites in the South. Um, so in 2002, California Democrats were looking at the federal law and they were starting to get worried that it, it didn't go far enough. Um, you know, the federal law, it, it basically creates a private right of action to sue. Uh, a minority voter can sue a local government if they think that, um, that their vote is being suppressed. Excuse me. And, um, <clears throat> and so uh, uh, the federal law, the problem with it is that it can take uh, quite a long time to win a case and, and quite a lot of money. And so attorneys are sometimes reluctant to, to bring those cases in the first place, even if they're very worthy cases. Um, the other problem with the federal law in 2002 was that conservatives were starting to uh, hack away at it. The U.S. Supreme Court was uh, becoming more conservative and uh, they were weakening the federal law. And uh, California Democrats did the thing that Democrats often do in California, which is, you know, if Republicans are, um, are doing something at the federal level that goes against California's sort of progressive values, Democrats step up and they say, um, you know, we're the bastion of these values and we need to, we need to step in and, and do something. So California Democrats passed uh, this law, the first of its kind, very ambitious, very powerful and, and very sweeping. And in this push and pull between, you know, district elections, at-large elections, were there pieces of the Federal Voting Rights Act that applied to that? Or was this really something that the California Voting Rights Act looked at more specifically? The uh, California Voting Rights Act goes um, a lot farther than the Federal Voting Rights Act does. So in the California Voting Rights Act, um, doesn't kind of leave as much open for judicial interpretation. It is uh, pretty clear that it favors district-based elections over at-large elections. And the kind of clarity of the law is, is part of the reason why we're seeing this this accelerating trend, because the law doesn't leave much room for, um, for you know, wondering whether whether there is a better system than districts. And how does it do that? Does it, is there thresholds that it sets or its approach to kind of racially polarized voting? I mean, how does it, how does the law lay out, I guess, a system in which district elections, um, you know, might tailor more to, to what lawmakers had in mind? Yeah, so the, the law says that, um, if, uh, if someone can kind of demonstrate that racially polarized voting is happening in a place, in a jurisdiction, then 
they uh, can contact the jurisdiction, tell them that racially polarized voting is happening, and essentially demand that the jurisdiction change to district-based elections. Um, and racially polarized voting can be shown in, in a number of ways. There are um, every, you know, there are ballot measures that reflect racially polarized voting because certain, uh, you know, ethnicities or demographics vote really f uh, heavily for or against. There are candidates um, that that kind of can reflect racially polarized voting either because they, um, you know, represent a, a large minority community that they're a part of or because they are supported by a large minority community. And so there are a few kind of different ways to to show racially polarized voting. And the law says that it, once that's shown, these uh, these jurisdictions need to change how they run their elections. So Jason, the law is passed in 2002. What happens then? Do we see an immediate shift in a lot of cities towards district elections? No, there was actually about 10 years where very little happened. Um, the, the people who wrote the law were Democratic civil rights attorneys, and they handled the first uh, several lawsuits against cities and school boards uh, accusing them of suppressing Latino and black votes. And a lot of those early lawsuits were kind of like easy wins. They were big, really big, fat targets. Uh, back in those days, there were a number of cities in California where, you know, you had a 60 or 70 percent uh, Latino voting population, but you had an all-white city council. And so you could tell that something, something was kind of off there structurally. And that's, that's really fundamentally what the law is designed to address. Um, the idea, the basic idea is that because at-large elections are winner-take-all, um, they can kind of permanently lock a minority community out of power. Um, you know, even, even if the majority, uh, usually whites, um, only has, you know, 51% or 52%, they can take all the seats. Um, so district elections, the advocates of district elections um, have said that districts give everyone a voice. And so... So for the first 10 years, there were some lawsuits, uh, there were some wins, but, you know, it wasn't really, you didn't really see the sweeping changes that we've seen in the last decade. Um, and a big part of that is because about a decade ago, uh, a, new, a new group of attorneys kind of got into the game and they started to build this cottage industry on top of the law. And we're going to get into some of those attorneys and the work that they've done around this law. But in, in those first 10 years, Daniel, was there a feeling among cities that, you know, there's, we're not going to face legal, legal repercussions if we don't change the district elections, um, or maybe a lack of knowledge about the new law. I mean, what held back this this change, and maybe what are some of the vested interests that exist for cities to maintain at-large elections? Well, so the you know one of the one of the kind of big reasons that this um, that this trend took kind of so long to accelerate is it uh, really picked up steam once there were these kind of really big uh, judgments and really big settlements. Uh, plaintiffs' attorneys making, I mean, millions of dollars essentially uh, after a city decided to try to fight the California Voting Rights Act in court. And so in this in this first ten years, um, it became clear that fighting the California Voting Rights Act in court was was a, a an extremely uphill battle, and and most cities kind of crunch the numbers and decide that it's not uh, it's not worth doing to even fight it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And for both of you, you know, two decades in into this law, what made you think like, OK, we want let's take a look at this. Let's let's delve in because it's, it's an area that honestly, you know, given the impact on local elections, there hasn't been a lot of real research into it. What caught your eye? Yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I, I didn't know anything about it when I, I started work on this. I think Daniel probably also knew very little. Um, so the, the project actually began with a reporter at the Chronicle who's no longer there, Alexandria Bordas. 
a couple of years ago, she was doing this classic um, journalist thing of covering a city council meeting in, in the town of Windsor uh, up in Sonoma County. And Windsor had just gotten this legal threat from this attorney they'd never heard of, Kevin Shankman in Malibu. Um, and it was, it was basically a letter saying that Windsor, accusing Windsor of suppressing the votes of, of Latinos uh, through their at-large election system. And Shankman was saying that he would sue the city under the CVRA unless they agreed to voluntarily switch to district elections and pay him $30,000 um, as a settlement, uh, which is a provision in the law that basically allows attorneys to collect $30,000 at a time just by sending a letter. So, um, so Windsor, Windsor didn't know much about the CVRA. They'd never heard of this attorney. They were trying to figure it out at this council meeting. And Allie got really curious. Um, and she basically just wondered how many other cities and and school boards and local government bodies are getting letters like this, getting getting these legal threats. So she she started trying to figure out how to answer that question. But the strange thing about the CVRA is that um, nobody's really minding the store at the state level. There's mm. no there's no state agency that's really tracking all the lawsuits or all of the outcomes because the way the law is written and set up, um, it's it's plaintiffs' attorneys who are who are driving uh, driving all of it. And so. Um, Allie, Allie realized there was no easy way to get a count, so the only way to do it was to start sending massive amounts of public records requests across the state. So, so I joined her in that, but I, I'm the first to admit I'm not, I'm not a public records uh, expert uh, or a data gathering or data analysis expert, but luckily Daniel is, and so we start working together. We're talking about the San Francisco Chronicle's three-part investigative series into how the California Voting Rights Act changed community elections and local governments and its unintended effects with its authors, Jason Fagoni, narrative writer at the San Francisco Chronicle, and Daniel Lempris, criminal justice reporter at the Chronicle. And we want to hear from you. If you vote in district elections, if you like district elections or don't, do you feel like you're represented by your local elected officials? You can email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org. Find us on our social channels at KQED Forum or give us a call 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. More to come. Stay with us. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Guy Marzarati in for Mina Kim. We're talking about a recent San Francisco Chronicle investigation into the California Voting Rights Act, the largest analysis of the law ever conducted, with Jason Fagoni, narrative writer at the Chronicle, and Daniel Lempris, criminal justice reporter at the Chronicle. And we want to hear from you. Do you vote in district elections? Do you think districts have led to better representation with district elections on school boards, on city councils? Here in San Francisco, this debate over at-large versus district elections on the Board of Supervisors has been going on for decades. If you like district elections, if you don't, give us a call. We're at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Or get in touch, forum at kqed.org or on our social platforms at KQED Forum. And Jason, your investigation really centers on a lawyer, Kevin Shankman. Uh, how did he become so closely associated with the California Voting Rights Act? And tell us about his work. Yeah, he's a really interesting guy, and his his story is kind of an unlikely story because he, he, he didn't set out uh, to take these cases because he was driven by the mission. Um, you know, he, 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 he told us that he, when he started out, he, um, about 10, 11 years ago, he actually had to look up the law on Wikipedia. Um, he had spent uh, the previous six years as a patent attorney, um, but he's a really gifted uh, trial lawyer, and he saw something in the law. He, um, he's always been a Democrat, and in 2011, he got a call out of the blue from uh, a black uh, Democratic activist. Um, who was looking at elections in the city of Palmdale near Los Angeles. And Palmdale was one of these cities where there was a completely out of whack, you know, set of numbers. Uh, it was about 70% black and Latino, and the city council was controlled by white Republicans. So something was very off there. And, uh, and Kevin Schenkman took this case, it was his first CVRA case, um, and, you know, Palmdale, unlike a lot of cities that sort of folds and settles cases when they when they get a lawsuit threat or a complaint, Palmdale fought back. And uh, Schenken is a very gifted trial lawyer, and, and he uh, he took it all the way to trial, and he beat Palmdale at trial. Um, so the the important thing about that case wasn't just that he beat Palmdale; um, he beat them and uh, forced the city to pay him four point six million dollars um, out of taxpayer funds thanks to a provision in the law that, um, that rewards plaintiff's attorneys when they win a case. And so that's a, hu- that's a huge amount of money for, uh, you know, for a town that size. And it got a lot of attention around the state. Um, all of a sudden, cities uh, kind of were on alert that they might be on the hook for millions of dollars if they fought back against one of these cases. And so, um, so Shankman's victory was kind of like, it was a, r- a real earthquake that kind of, it, sh- it shook the you know, the political plates across the state. And after that, um, Shankman, you know, he became the most prolific CVRA attorney uh, in the state and started um, taking other cases to trial. And at the same time, uh, began sending out sort of legal threats, you know, in bulk, uh, waves and waves of them. And and Daniel, it seems like, you know, one of the responses to that that big victory uh, that Shankman had was perhaps to limit how much damage legal uh, damage could be done to f- cities facing the similar uh, kind of lawsuits in the future. Yeah. So after um, a few big settlements, um, and, you know, especially the Palmdale settlement, the state uh, the state government kind of heard from a lot of California cities that they were worried about about this provision of the law, and so uh, the legislature passed a safe harbor provision, essentially. Um, they made it so that if a city agrees to transition to district elections and does so uh, within a certain time period, kind of checking a, a certain boxes in terms of community input, 
then the um, attorney's fees that that city would be forced to pay would be capped at $30,000. And so it kind of essentially formalized this uh, this decision that cities are making where they're looking at this $4.6 million judgment and now this guaranteed cap of $30,000 and, and they're making you know, a, a very easy decision based on the numbers. So you have this fascinating dynamic where, Jason, you say Shankman is a, a great trial attorney. His business model kind of shifts to maybe avoiding letting, giving cities this out to avoid uh, trials at a price. Right. And you can understand, you can understand why they make that decision, right? Um, because there's huge risk in, in not, not taking that out and paying the fee. But it, it's, had, it's had this strange effect on, on uh, local government across the state. Because, you know, what happens in the vast majority of these cases is that they just settle very quickly. Um, the cities fold, they give in, they pay the $30,000. And so, um, so if you live in one of these cities, if you're a voter in one of these cities, all of a sudden, you know, the atoms and molecules of your local democracy are completely fundamentally transformed through a process that you basically have no, no input into. Mm. Um, all of this stuff is, is, you know, essentially happening kind of behind closed doors. Um, the merits of the case are not being hashed out in in public or or in any kind of court. So it's it's not exactly how you would imagine you know good government should work, especially when when there's something as important at stake as uh, as the way local elections happen. And you know local 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 elections are there's almost nothing more fundamental, right? Like it's this is the grassroots of democracy. It's, you know, this is where this is where uh, you know senators and presidents begin, and this is where all all the big issues that we talk about every day begin at the local level. And so, there's this huge shift happening across the state at the same time. There's almost there's like very little scrutiny or, or public discussion of it. It's strange, right? And in some cases, you all find Shankman taking almost like a Mailchimp approach to these letters. He just he's blasting them out. Different names are being mixed up. In some cases, the details of each city's demographics are maybe not entirely accurate. Yeah, we'll see. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. We'll see. Uh, you know, for example, a half dozen letters appear in the same in the same county, all in the same uh, the same day or two. Uh, we'll see a lot of um, copying and pasting, essentially. So, so these uh, threat letters tend to be four pages. They tend to be uh, very similar to one another. Uh, you might get to the fourth page, and all of a sudden, there's a reference to a city or a school district that uh, wasn't changed, wasn't corrected, and there are. Also, in his effort to prove racially polarized voting, there are moments where um, where Shankman uses uh, surname analysis. He looks at a person's surname to kind of try to figure out their their ethnicity and try to make the case that, um, you know, for example, this person with a, a Latino surname uh, lost dramatically in an at-large race because of racially polarized voting. And uh, we found that he wasn't always correct when he made those when he made those assumptions. Yeah, one guy was like, I'm Italian. What are you talking about here? So uh, we have a, a tweet from a listener who says, California is hilarious and frustrating. They pass these laws to protect the rights of minorities and ensure representation. But if you actually look at the law, it's about empowering plaintiff's attorneys to collect ransoms from small towns. That's certainly a critique uh, that we've heard. Let's go to the uh, phones now. Anne in San Francisco. Good morning, Anne. Good morning. Um, I just wanted to comment that I am very much in favor of district elections. Um, and the reason I have for that is that I'm old enough to remember both the at-large elections and then when they switched briefly during the Dan White era and, and the tragedy of George Moscone and Harvey Milk back to at-large and then to district and then they had district and then back to at-large. And during the at-large time, everybody lived in certain neighborhoods, St. Francis Woods 
and Pacific Heights. And now with district elections, I live in Bernal Heights and I know that I can call Supervisor Ronan's office and they can be responsive and uh, and they will they're familiar with the issues in my corner of the city and they're familiar with what I'm talking about and actually can do something about it and know who to call to get a, a problem resolved. So it's infinitely superior with district elections and especially here in San Francisco. Thank you so much, Anne, for your call. And Jason, I mean, this is really, Anne lays out the, the real sure. argument in favor of district elections. If you don't, if SF doesn't switch in 1976, you don't get Harvey Milk without district elections. Right. What did your research find about, you know, how demographic change, how representation is changing after city switch, at least in, in the cases that you looked at? Yeah, um, well... I think there's nobody who there's nobody who is questioning the ideal and the purpose of the law, right? The purpose of the law to protect, to make sure that every vote is is protected, every vote counts, um, you know, to ensure that there that minority representation is there. Um, you know, it's a democratic state. Down the line, all, all Democrats will say that they they agree with these things. Um, but you know, when we look, kind of looked at the reality of the law. Um, we found that the results are very mixed, um, particularly when you when you try to when you try to measure how representation is increasing or not increasing. So uh, we looked at a subset of, I think, about 60 different cities and school boards that had switched to district elections under legal pressure. Almost all of them got these letters from Kevin Shankman, um, and they decided to voluntarily make the switch rather than risk losing millions of dollars in a ruinous lawsuit, right? So, so they made the switch, and we, um, we contacted the elected officials who were on those boards you know, before the switch and the ones who were on there after. Um, we gathered their ethnicities and we were, to, we were able to measure sort of this, in this rough way whether the switch had, uh, had made those city councils and school boards more diverse. In about half the cases, it did. Um, you know, and there was, in those cases, there was a particularly large increase in Latino elected officials. But uh, in the other half of cases, uh, there was no increase in representation. And in some of them, there was actually, the boards actually got whiter. We're talking about the California Voting Rights Act, its impact on shifts from at-large local elections to district-based local elections. You can give us a call, 866-733-6786, with your take. Frank called that number. Good morning, Frank. Good morning. I uh, second everything Anne said. I remember the uh, the change back and forth between district wide and at large. Um, I think the the problem that I would say with uh, the district election is it contributes to this idea that you need to have somebody that looks like you that, to represent you. And I think the problem with that large election was always that big money interest like PG&E was able to pick the board constitute. And uh, anyway, I would I would offer. Uh, three things, mandatory debates for any politician who wants to hold office, uh, public financing, and some kind of ranked choice voting where you can uh, bullet vote and emphasize. Like if you want one person who's like a minority opinion, uh, then you can put all your votes towards that person. Thank you, Frank. I'd endorse that. Mandatory debates. That's, that sounds good. Um, we have a comment from a listener, Steve, who writes, unfortunately, the California Voting Rights Act has created a cottage industry of no-name attorneys who send CVRA threat letters to small jurisdictions so they can collect $30,000. I think, you know, Daniel, let's talk about Shankman and, and collecting these uh, $30,000 settlements. In your reporting, I think beyond just the settlement itself, his kind of unique personality may be rubbing 
people somewhat the wrong way, perhaps? Yeah, like, you know, like Jason mentioned, he's certainly he's certainly a character. He is um, not afraid of a fight. He's uh, very confident. He's very, very charismatic. He's, you know, he's hard not to like. And he's a very, um, like Jason said, he's a, he's a very gifted attorney. We heard from a lot of folks who felt like they felt, you know, a little bit like the process was uh, similar to what Steve said, like uh, almost a cottage industry. They felt like it was very kind of impersonal. They felt like uh, the um, Mr. Shankman kind of disappeared after he got his check. Whereas, you know, kind of after they make this decision is when the rubber meets the road. That's when you sit down and you start drawing maps. That's when you start talking to your citizens about what this process is going to look like. And so for him to kind of disappear in that moment made a lot of people feel like it was just about the money. Shankman, well, he also did a very famous thing in sort of the history of CVRA. <laughs> so, there's, there's, so there's this famous moment um, at, right after he won the $4.6 million judgment from the city of Palmdale. He went on Facebook and he posted a, an image of the check, $4.6 million check that he received from Palmdale on on Facebook and the, with, with the words, picture me rolling, expletive. Um, you know, that rubs some people the wrong way, uh, as you, as you can imagine. Um, you know, but he talking to him, he, he completely owns up to it. And he, and he says, one, that's a Tupac line. Uh, <laughs> two, um, I needed to, I needed to be brash like that because I was trying to, I was essentially trying to scare other cities that I hadn't sued yet into making the switch voluntarily. Um, because he believes that district elections are just the superior system that that basically everybody everybody should be using them and um, and if he can if he can make that make that change happen by uh you know by being like a bit of a jerk sometimes then uh, then that's completely valid which is kind of counterintuitive to his uh, strategy of maybe catching some of these cities by surprise and collecting his check if he's encouraging them to you know make this change on your own maybe that lends some credence that he does really think this is the best form of representation. I, I think I think there's a big part of him that really, really believes believes in the work that he's doing. Yeah. We're gonna go back to the phones and Angie in San Jose. Good morning, Angie. Good morning. Uh, I'm confused. This seems like a very much a non issue that is just kind of a personal vendetta or attack of plaintiff's attorneys. Maybe one that was able to figure out how to maximize his advantages in the system. But really if a city feels it has merits for its case, why not risk $30,000? That's not a lot of money for any city. So they still have the ability to fight their case on its merits. And where were people when we needed them clamoring about the injustices of at-large voting and the horrible um, impact on voting rights and communities of color and marginalized communities? That's That's an issue to really fight for and devote this much time to. This is not what I expect from public radio. I'm sorry. Well, thank you so much, Angie, for your call. Appreciate it. Yeah, Daniel here, you can't put a price on democracy. So why is 30000 insurmountable? Well, <clears throat> I think the, the reason that the $30,000 number stands out is because that is the maximum if they uh, essentially don't, don't plead their case, don't fight their case, don't kind of take a look at whether district-based voting makes the most sense for their jurisdiction. Um, I think that the the kind of tension between um, between kind of focusing on on what's what's important to voters and uh, being kind of fiscally responsible with taxpayer money makes a lot of uh, elected officials worry that you know if there is even a, a slight chance of a four million dollar judgment that they need to especially in a smaller jurisdiction they need to um, 
cap it at thirty thousand dollars if if they can. And the, there have been, you know, four point six million dollars is, is a, a significant amount of money for even for a city of Palmdale size. And more recently, um, you know, uh, the city of Santa Monica has has been fighting the California Voting Rights Act in court, and they're looking at um, they're looking at legal fees probably approaching twenty million dollars. Yeah, and I, and I would say I would say too that thirty thousand dollars can be a lot of money. You know, for um, particularly for like a small school district. Yeah, tell us about the Martinez. School yeah, district. we wrote so we wrote about Martinez Unified School District uh, in Contra Costa County, and um, you know they're a pretty small uh, school system, um, and uh, and they ended up having to pay about eighty three thousand um, dollars after they got a letter from Shankman. So they had to pay thirty thousand to Shankman and fifty fifty three thousand dollars to their own lawyers and their own consultants to kind of deal with it. That was at a time when you know the school system was going through a system, a series of really painful budget cuts, and they were laying off teachers. Right, um, so they're, they're not very large to begin with. Eighty-three thousand dollars is meaningful. It's it's um, you know the superintendent told us that that's that's enough money to hire one full-time teacher, or it's enough money to have you know kept the libraries and the elementary schools open at a time when they were being closed uh, due to due to these painful budget cuts. And so, you know, it, it doesn't it might not sound like a lot of money, but um, but I think I think I think it is for for a lot of places. And Daniel, about 30 seconds or so. Uh, so we have to head to a break. But you mentioned this moving up the courts uh, in this case out of Santa Monica. Where does this California Voting Rights Act stand with the California Supreme Court and briefly just where that case is at? Yeah, so uh, the city of Santa Monica has been fighting uh, against Mr. Shankman for, for several years. Uh, there, He is representing uh, an, a group called the Pico Neighborhood Association, which is in a heavily Latino uh, part of Santa Monica. And the the case was, you know, uh, has been kind of argued for, for many years. And just this summer, the California Supreme Court um, heard the case and made a decision. And the case really kind of the, the question they're really trying to get at is how how does the law decide when um, these districts are, are beneficial and what's the kind of threshold for these changes? Do they arrive at any threshold? Not a lot of clarity there, unfortunately. <laughs> okay. um, we're going to be heading into a break. Um, when we come back, we're going to talk about the effect of local governments making the switch to district elections, how it's changed housing policy in California, and in some cases actually sparked a right-wing school board revolt. Stay with us, and if you want to weigh in on this issue of at-large or district elections, you can get in touch, forum at kqed.org, or give us a call, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Stay with us. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to the forum. I'm Guy Marzarati in for Mina Kim, and we're talking with Jason Fagoni of the San Francisco Chronicle and Daniel Lempress, also of the San Francisco Chronicle, about their investigation into the California Voting Rights Act and its impact on moving cities and counties and school boards from at-large elections to district elections. And we want to hear from you. Do you like district elections in your jurisdiction? Do you prefer at-large elections? Maybe you live in Santa Clara where this issue has dominated city politics in recent years. It's gone to the voters multiple times, gone back and forth. What do you feel like the result has been uh, in your local city or county or school board? You can email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org. Find us on our social media platforms at KQED Forum or give us a call 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. So, Jason, let's dive into some of the implications of all this for, you know, how elections turn out in a lot of these local jurisdictions. I think the biggest criticism of these district elections is it leads to kind of parochial politics, right? You only have to appeal to a small subgroup of people. Uh, Maybe you don't care about whether the city solves housing as as long as people in your district are happy. Right. Um, What did you find when you looked into some of these local jurisdictions that made this switch? Yeah, so that's one of the kind of unintended consequences of the law, right? Like, uh, it's a progressive law with progressive goals, but some of the outcomes are actually sort of achieving the opposite of progressive ends. Uh, That's one of them that you mentioned um, districts can sort of create more parochial uh, politics and they tend to empower uh, NIMBYs, people who don't want uh, multifamily housing built near near their homes. Uh, There's some research showing that the num- it gets harder to build new housing in, um, in cities that have switched to districts because of the CBRA, um, you know, which, which is a little bit, a little bit ironic and, and in some ways shows the power of, power of the law to create change because, you know, white majorities have been able to be NIMBYs for, forever and ever, right? But now Latino and black communities can be NIMBYs too. Um, another unintended consequence is that um, – we think that district elections have helped uh, extremists or far-right candidates in some places across California. Uh, and, and that's understandable because district elections, one of the, one of the uh, positives that, that their advocates um, talk about is that they reduce barriers to running for public office, right? They make it easier to run. Uh, because you don't have to reach as many voters because districts are much smaller than the entire city. Uh, so you don't have to spend as much money. You don't have to raise as much money to run. And that tends to help people who are first-time candidates uh, or, from, or from underrepresented communities. Um, you know, and sometimes that can help uh, left-wing and progressive candidates, but sometimes it, it can do the opposite. So there, were, there was a, a bunch of first-time candidates down in the Inland Empire, um, you know, east of L.A. in 2022, um, who were supported by right-wing evangelical churches who dove into um, school board races in towns that had recently switched to district elections under legal pressure. So the political environment there had been completely remade by the switch, by the CVRA. And all of a sudden, there was just a lot more attack surface for Republicans and for these right-wing churches. So they were able to raise uh, relatively small amounts of money 
and motivate their their voters to get out and vote for um, for a series of far right candidates and basically take over a number of school boards across the Inland Empire. Escondido was a really fascinating case study uh, in your research, looking at the ways in which diversity increased there, but then there were some, you know, maybe unintended consequences or, you know, consequences that came uh, on the policy side. Daniel, what did you find? Yeah, Jason, maybe es- Escondido, sure, yeah. that, that was more that was more of my piece of it, sure. So uh, Escondido was one of the one of the earliest, early cities to sort of make a switch. Um, and, uh, you know, there had been a white majority on uh, council before, a Republican majority had switched to a Democratic majority with a number of uh, Latino members. And, um, and since then, Escondido has really struggled to build housing. Uh, it's a fast, fast-growing city. Um, you know, they need to create a certain number of housing units to meet state-mandated housing goals, right? State has, the state has come in increasingly in recent years and, and uh, delivered punishments and penalties for cities that don't build housing because the housing crisis is such a big deal, right? Um, but Escondido has, you know, failed to meet those targets. And, um, you know, since, since going to district elections because of CVRA, um, you know, the city council has just shot down a number of a number of the kinds of housing projects that you really need to be able to sort of increase housing density, like, you know, multifamily apartment complexes near transit, those kinds of projects are being shot down uh, more in Escondido than they were before. I could see a, the, the flip side to that, though, which is like the Voting Rights Act, it seems like it did its job in Escondido. There's more diverse representation on the council. These other issues like pushing cities to build more housing, maybe that's another solution for that. Is that fair? Yeah, that's that's fair. Um, and... Uh, yeah, that's totally totally legitimate. And and to be fair, I mean, there are a lot of positive, uh, like unambiguously positive results from the CVRA. I mean, um, you know, Shankman sent a letter to a legal threat to the San Rafael city school system. San Rafael, um, you know, it's it's one of the few places in Marin County that isn't overwhelmingly white. Um, you know, Marin County very very white, very wealthy. San Rafael has has a very vibrant um, uh, Latino community, particularly in. Uh, a part of the city known as the Canal area, and that's where San, Ra- San Rafael City Schools are. You know, before they got this letter from Shankman and switched to district elections, you know, I think there were what three three white members of the five member um, school board in San Rafael, even though the the Canal area is about ninety percent Latino. So fifteen thousand people living there, ninety percent Latino, Spanish speaking, and and they didn't really have representation. Um, you know, Shankman comes in, they switch to district elections, and today, um, you know, three out of five members of San Rafael City School uh, School Board are uh, Latina women uh, who speak Spanish and can now sort of translate in real time and, and you know in Spanish at at school board meetings, which is you know which is which is real and and powerful and, and important. Let's go to Marin, to Novato with Kevin. Kevin, good morning. Thanks so much for calling into Forum. Oh, thank you, guys. This is a great show. And, and thank you, Jason and Daniel. This is great reporting. Um, thank you. Yeah, I'm just a few miles north of San Rafael, and we we got a letter from Mr. Schenkman. The city council responded by saying, yes, let's go to district elections. But they asked their consultants if they could simply create districts to protect their incumbencies. The consultants said yes, and now we have an all-white council still, despite the fact that we have some majority-minority districts. So I'm curious what you can say about the effects of the Voting Rights Act on, on incumbents. Thanks so much, Kevin. Daniel, do you have thoughts on 
effects on incumbents? Yeah, so we um, part of our, our analysis is we looked at 30 years of election results uh, around the state in these jurisdictions that, that conduct district elections to kind of try to figure out things like... Um, are there more uncontested elections, you know, races where only one person signs up in under districts than under at-large systems, or um, do incumbents fare better? And in the in the 30 years of data, we found that incumbents fared about the same in district elections as they did in at-large elections. They tend to win almost 80% of the time when they run. So we found we found that there wasn't a big a big impact on incumbency. We have a, a listener, Scott, who writes that small districts have long had a real challenge to find enough volunteers to serve. Forcing district elections upon them makes that even harder. It's unfortunate that lawyers are forcing districts into this without even having to show any evidence of inequity. The only choice for a district is to take on the cost of reimbursing the lawyer, spend money on uh demographers and then face the challenge of finding a rare volunteer. I assume Scott means volunteer by candidate, finding candidates to actually step in. And you all found this a lot in in your reporting, races that in some cases were shelved because there just wasn't enough interest. Right. Yeah. Scott is, Scott is talking about, you know, about candidates, but yeah, they're essentially volunteers. So these are, there are a lot of, um, you know, the scope of the CVRA is huge. It applies not just to city councils and school boards, but also, um, you know, the kinds of small local boards that usually really struggle to find people to serve on them at all, like sewer boards or, you know, parks and rec departments. And, um, you know, uh, there are, you know, hundreds of independent fire agencies uh, across the state that, you know, help fight wildfires and have their own boards. It, it's It can be really hard to to find people to put in the time. Uh, to serve on these things, especially because they they pay so poorly. I mean, honestly, it's it's a terrible job. It's like you're 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 working like part time job hours and getting paid maybe fifty bucks, you know, a hundred bucks per meeting. Um, so you know, the the candidate pool is very small to begin with, and then you carve it up into districts, and each district is you know one fifth the size. The only people who can run for those seats are people who live in the district, and so all of a sudden you've basically just dried up dried up an already you know parched candidate pool and, and it becomes next to impossible to find somebody to serve on these things and I think it's worth noting that even you know the positive outcomes of these district elections it can be hard to track as you're trying to report this right I think Jason you mentioned at the top there's just not a central clearinghouse for what the effects are on you know things like policy yeah so we um, you know we reached out to a few agencies in Sacramento in the hopes that either uh, folks like the Secretary of State who look after elections or folks like the Attorney General who will look after uh, you know make sure the laws are being followed no one you know no one in Sacramento is, is keeping an eye on on these things and we found that we had we took a look around the kind of academic world and we found that there was some research on on policy outcomes things like housing permits. Uh, we found some studies that were kind of a lot smaller than than what we did, uh, looking at outcomes in terms of representation, but nothing uh, nothing at this scale. And I, you know, this still isn't isn't the scale that will give us kind of a of a full picture. Steve, a listener, writes the city of Fillmore in Ventura County is majority Latino and has had two Latino city council members of five, yet they were sent a threat letter by an attorney representing a Latino client, and because they didn't have the resource to fight it, they're going to districts, which will cost them at least $100,000 on top of attorney fees. We also have a comment from Francesca who says, I think there should be a hybrid system, district elections with a few at-large candidates too. That way, the at-large supervisors could have the interests of the entire city in mind, and they would temper two radical district supervisors. 
You're listening to Forum. I'm Guy Marzarati, in for Mina Kim. And we'll continue our conversation talking about the California Voting Rights Act. And I want to give you a chance to respond to the response Shankman, I think, made uh, to your reporting, which is he pointed at, you know, the research you had done around districts diversifying. I think you found in 22 of the 45 districts you looked at became more diverse. He said that's a huge success. And he kind of said, try to find another law that has had that kind of effect in diversifying our local representation. What did you all make of that? I think I think that's fair. Um, I, we're not telling anybody what to think. Um, uh, you know, I, I guess I guess I would ask whether whether there are more direct ways to achieve the goal that the CVRA is, is setting out to achieve. Right? It's it's trying to increase minority representation. I I have I have this sense after you know spending months and months uh, working on this that if you just paid elected officials a lot more, then 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 you would have a much easier time um, uh, getting. Uh, folks who are not part of the usual sort of power structure, getting getting minorities, um, getting working um, working parents into into public office, because you would just be giving them the support that they need to be able to do the job. Um, I don't know I, if you if you ten x the amount that you know local board members made at, at meetings, or if you provided like you know healthcare or childcare. I, I have to imagine that you would um, you would you would see a lot more can- a lot more minority candidates coming out coming out to run right. Uh, let's go back to the phones now. We're going to go to Maria in Burlingame. Hi, Maria. Hi. Um, we just had our first district election about two years ago. There are six districts, 30,000 people here. I only have one vote now. My vote has been diluted. And um, I feel that the people, oh, it was carved out, and the people that were already in were saved, by the way. So now I think people, new people who want to run, uh, will have a difficult time going up against the incumbents in those districts unless they step down. So um, that's the only thing I wanted to say about that. Thank you. I really enjoyed this. Thank you so much, Maria. I appreciate uh, you calling in with your thoughts and what's going on in Burlingame. Um, Any response to what Maria raised there? Yeah, I think Maria has a good point. I mean, in in some in some cases, district elections can actually lock in incumbents and reduce the amount of choice that voters have because, uh, you know, before in an at-large system, every two years you would have a chance to vote for vote for some candidates, right? Um, on, under a district system, you get one vote every four years, and you only get to vote vote for that seat. Um, yeah, so that so that's that's something that we heard from other voters and other elected officials in other towns. They thought it had reduced the amount of choice. And Daniel, how does money in politics and campaign finance intersect with these issues? I can see people, you know, at large elections, it often costs a lot of money to run if you're running citywide. But then, in some cases, you know, one donor can have a huge impact if you're just talking about a single small district. So, how does that all fit in here? Yeah. So, um, you know, that was one of the one of the things we heard a lot was that at large races are just substantially more expensive than district races. We um, heard from a lot of folks who uh, were able to knock on every door in their district, which is uh, which is really cool, you know, especially for a local elected official. And that is not something they would have had the time or, or resources to do in an at-large race where the whole city was, was involved. But, you're, you know, you're also right with these smaller races, um, things like what we saw happening in school boards down, down in the Inland Empire are, are you know, easier and, and can happen. Where you have kind of an organized group that has a big impact in it. Yeah, yeah. District. I mean, you know, it's it's uh, and like a lot of local government, if there are a few people paying really close attention who feel really strongly, they can 
um, kind of rest control from from the rest of us, essentially. A listener writes, I was the first district elect to a district in my jurisdiction. In general, I like it because people are better represented, but the biggest benefit is the biggest problem. We are now responsible to a subset of voters. There remains no staff and very little compensation to support a big increase in this responsibility for council members. Uh, Jason, any response to that? And also, you know, I want to ask if you've heard any response to your reporting that suggests there might be changes coming to this law. If there's been any interest in the state legislature, you know, 20 plus years in and maybe revisiting uh, some pieces of the California Voting Rights Act. I agree with the caller that local officials should be paid a lot more, (laughs) fundamentally, uh, paid for their time. Um, And I think there there was a state bill that passed last year that increased for the first time in years uh, the pay of city council members. Gavin Newsom signed it, but it only applies to city council, not other not uh, many, the many other kinds of local officials that are swept up by CVRA. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I don't think that, I realistically don't think that there's much chance for the law to be amended or, or changed just because I think that, that California Democrats see it, as, see it as kind of untouchable at this point, um, especially this year going into, you know, a really contentious presidential election. Um, you know, Trump is already talking about, you know, making noises about vote suppression in, in large Democratic cities, you know, um, for Democrats to stand up in a, in, a, in, a, in a presidential election year and say that they want to amend a law that is sort of perceived as, you know, a model for the nation and protecting uh, voting rights seems like seems like something that is, you know, politically really, really hard to swallow. But uh, Daniel and I, you know, we did find that there are a couple of ways that the law could be changed pretty straightforwardly that um, seem like they would preserve the the positives while sort of mitigating the negatives. Daniel, tell us about uh, maybe some of those to close out our hour. Yeah, so um, one of the one of the kind of very kind of simple fixes would be just simply adding a threshold to the law, saying that if a jurisdiction has a few thousand voters then it is not, you know, it is not necessary for it to be carved up into districts. Um, the law is prescriptive. It says only, you know, it says district elections are preferred. It does not say, you know, under these circumstances. And so, so make it really be for clarify it. Exactly. Clarify it. Yeah. So that places like Big Bear Lake don't get uh, don't get carved up into districts of 1200 people. Daniel Lempris, criminal justice reporter with the San Francisco Chronicle. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Guy. And Jason Fagoni, narrative writer with the Chronicle. Thank you so much for being here as well. Thank you for having us. We've been talking about the California Voting Rights Act and its impact on pushing a lot of cities from at-large elections to district elections. You've been listening to Forum. Thank you so much for all the callers, people who wrote in with comments, all of our listeners. I'm Guy Marzarati, in for Mina Kim. Thanks so much for listening. Have a good one. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com.
We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.